Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. Uh, Normally we uh, have an episode dedicated to our series, A Little Sondheim Music. Today is a very special episode. It's a bonus episode, if you will. Because we have in our midst someone who is a Broadway baby, is a Sondheim sophisticate. She's done everything you can think of. She's done Rodgers and Hammerstein, Sondheim, Shakespeare, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. She's one of the goddamn original bird girls from Seussical. If that's not a legacy, I don't know what is. I mean, you can walk away from that. And and why would I'm, you want to? Why, why would, would you want to? Do you mean... All it takes is just a thanks doc to know that like you have a legacy to live on from forever. But that's to say, please welcome a very, very special guest, one Miss Natasha Diaz. Hello, Natasha. Oh, hello and happy Sunday, Matt. I'm so, so honored and, and happy that you that you sought me out, um, truly. I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you, but you know, this weird, the pandemia schedule is She's a she's a she's an ever changing beast, as you know. Very much so. It's like not a normal thing. So um, I'm so thrilled to finally sit down with you. I'm so thrilled you are sitting down with me as well. And because we are using video uh, with this episode for the first time really ever, I did do myself up a little bit, but only from here up. Um, full disclosure: I am not wearing pants because this is a pandemic. But from here up, I'm a human being. <laughs> You look gorgeous, darling, gorgeous. You You as well. I love the lighting you have. It's just so beautiful. Oh, but let me share. This is not, this is like, this is nothing fancy. This is a desk lamp. Well, fuck my drag because it looks amazing. A desk lamp. I'm telling you, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yes, and it does, it's doing wonders for you. So, you know, it's all you need. Why invest in a ring light? 
I listen, I had to get put on tape in the middle of last summer and I had nothing with me. And I was in a rental place with my mom and they had a little office with this lamp. And I got, I didn't even have someone to read with me. And they, I got put on hold just from the tape. That's amazing. Yeah, so, it's well, like, so are you telling me that you stole the lamp from the place? No, they let me take it with them. They, oh. let, they let me take it with me. I'm, I was indebted. That is indebted. beautiful. Now, we will talk about Sondheim mostly on this episode, specifically uh, your more recent Sondheim endeavor, although you have had plenty. So we're, what I'm going to do is we're going to do a quick little rest up on your way to uh, the big one, which is passion, because that's uh, the week that this episode will be coming out. Yes. However, I would be remiss, and my listeners would be remiss, Miss Diaz, if we didn't discuss for a, a minute your Broadway debut, because you were in the original company of the 1994 Carousel. And as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, not only is Carousel my favorite musical, but that production in my mind is one of the greatest things to ever happen. And everyone associated with it in any way is royalty in my eyes. Well, you're everyone. not, you're, you, you are, I'm, we are in complete agreement about that. I mean, if you look in the roster of the ensemble. Mm-hmm. The you, ensemble. Lauren Ward, Tay Diggs, Brian Darcy James, like. Hello. Hello. Beat me up. It's amazing. Yeah. Ah. Well, you know, frankly, I, I, I like to think that, you know, these, I think the English have a very particular taste mm -hmm. in performer and, um, and, and talk about being before it's time. I mean, look at all the colors that we were mm -hmm. that made up this new England village. You know, we had, we had, uh, I think we had Chinese, we had uh, Malaysian, we had black, we had, you know, Latin, Mediterranean, white. I mean, this was, um, it was like sort of like a no, a no brainer. Yeah. Um, it, it was which, gorgeous. Which we didn't even, even though it was so revolutionary, I think we were such all such potent storytellers that we really weren't aware that we were sort of doing something that was ahead of its time. We were just like, yeah, you're talented. That's why you're here. Doesn't matter what you look like mm -hmm. <laughs> because you can dance your face off, sing your face off and, and tell a story so potently that he had, you know, this kind of performer of the different races mm -hmm. that he chose in every corner of the production. Absolutely. I mean, Shouldn't it always be this way, right? It should always be that way. It's your that production was really revolutionary in a lot of ways. Casting numero uno, like just like the number one thing. And then you, your production was really kind of the first time that Broadway had seen a revival of a golden age musical presented like it was a brand new work. It was usually kind of a throwback uh, production or it was sort of a museum piece. You know, we had the Fosse Sweeney, uh, I was gonna say Fosse Sweeney, the Fosse Sweet Charity with Debbie Allen, which was, you know, a replica, or it was the Faith Prince Guys and Dolls, which was very much like a throwback uh, production. And your carousel, it was as if it was a brand new musical and really treated it with uh, integrity and respect. And as you said, everyone in that production from the, you know, uh, the main lead to the like swing was a first-class storyteller and everyone was had a personality had a focus it was I mean the opening alone each one of you on that stage has a story and a character it's 
Uh, I watch it all the time. I mean, I post know, it. I mean, do you know the story behind it? Behind the, the opening? opening? Well, okay. I'll tell you what I know. And I know a lot because yeah, as I said, right, right. I'm absolutely obsessed with this production. I've posted it maybe possibly on a way that people can watch the whole thing. So I don't know. If you want to go down memory lane, you're fully in it. You're at the oh. front. Oh, I've seen it. Um, I've yeah. Seen all the footage. It's, yep. it's, it's flying. Yeah. It's like- You're flying. one of the mill girls. You're also in the front of the pyramid and June is busting out all over. You think I didn't see, but I saw. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You're so good. Um, you're all so good. But um, I know that they were, when they were first coming together with the prologue, they were trying to figure out how they were going to open it. First, Heitner was like, maybe it's like a, a, it's a flash forward to Louise on the fairground. And then he's like, or maybe we open at the mill. And Kenneth McMillan's like, yes, that's how we open it. And so they kind of figured it all out. Um, and then I know that like the basic staging is the same from London, but I've seen the London production as well. And there are so many details that are different that I have to assume come from you guys of figuring out who all of your characters are. Well... Um, there's a couple layers about this. One of them is just the arc, the musical arc of what happens from the right. So this, this, and then the so 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 we think if you're if you're in your mind going, what does that mean? So if it starts in a sort of a of a of a, of a rhythm that denotes routine mm -hmm. then as it as it as it uh as it speeds up maybe it's it speeds up to because it gets, it's getting closer to closing time it's getting closer to right. six o'clock right. so from there every single uh section of that open of the musical opening lends itself to an aspect of the unfolding story. So if they start at the mill, then what happens? They get released. Well, where are they going? To the carousel, blah, 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 right? So mm -hmm. that denotes they're exciting. What are they doing? They're getting dressed. So the, all the coats fly in. They take off their things and they go and they're happy and, they're, and the stage starts to turn. Mm -hmm. and then they go meet the boys, right? Da, 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 bum, yeah. bum. With those like planks of wood, yeah. Right, that's right. And so they start, and so they start jumping and dancing, right? And then all of a sudden, each event of the of of the fair starts coming in. And I mean, there's like the there's the 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 I, I should have listened to it before because even just listening to it is a visceral thrill that can never be taken away. Um, it's there like a tattoo on my mm -hmm. soul. Um, even like the, 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 the bending of the bar, bend of the bar, bend of the bar, and then the woman. Oh, it's a strong woman, yep, and brings it back up. She straightens it up. It's, there's. Sorry, it's, I'm very happy right now. I'm very, very happy right now. It's, it's a ballet, right? To, and, and let me tell you, so the first day of rehearsal, Nick played the music for us. Mm -hmm. And basically narrated what you see. And we were like, <laughs> oh my God, let me get jumping, jumping, let me jump in, let me get jumping. And it, it's, I mean, it, it, the, just musically, you know, like Peter and the Wolf, just like narrating, narrating an action. 
And building to that with our company was a very classic, um, inclusive, I mean, we sat in a circle, everybody, Sally, Michael, Audra, uh, Fisher, we all tossed the ball, we all had, he said, I want, everyone has to have a name. And there are different stories in this village that are happening. You all know what's going on. It's a small village. Um, but we're going to establish stories and relationships around what happens in this opening. He's like, I am so uninterested in happy villagers. I could not be less interested in happy villagers. I need you to be people who are experiencing this time of year, the carousel. And um, my name was Abby Chase. And I got proposed to on the carousel. <laughs> Uh, and that was uh, really thrilling. And putting it all together was, um, yeah, it was magic. So two major questions. Do you remember when you got to finally sort of see the set on the Beaumont stage, how it all sort of came together? And then do you remember your feelings at the first preview? Were they something like this audience doesn't even know what they're about to see? Um, yeah. Like, I mean, there are when, parts that, when over. the thing comes for the gunk, 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 I mean, we were like, that umbrella opener, oh my God. Well, no, because people, it... people lost their minds. And frankly, we also lost our minds every night because mm -hmm. it is it is when something is so beautifully directed and realized on a stage, you're basically, you are, you are funneling life. Mm -hmm. An actual event that is happening for the first time, right? So, I mean, he could not have been more successful at harnessing that life and representing it, representing it every night, eight shows a week. Like this is what, this is, to, to know what a carousel meant to a mill girl in New England at that time is to see a show and see it realized the way you saw it realized. Uh. And that he imbued the the uh, the overture with the with this with this charge of really bringing the audience um, on a visceral level of joining. And what's so similarly, you know, I, I'm not I don't mean to tie in passion to this, but what's interesting about the shape of the Beaumont stage is that it was so intimate. It's, it's, you know, it's a semicircle, but no one is ever too far from the stage, even when you're in the back row, because mm -hmm. it's rise. It's sort of like a half donut rise yeah. stadium. And similarly with passion here at Signature, Matthew did the same thing. When people are close to the action, they have less 
when 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 spectators, audience members are are closer to the action, they have less literal space mm-hmm. to distance themselves from what is being presented and less of an opportunity not to join mm-hmm. right in 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 what is you know the life that we are we are weaving this fake moment and making it real mm-hmm. by adding all of these elements and then heightening it with the music but passion did the same thing which i think was was the configuration here in uh, in signature was imagine like a tennis match. The the stage was long, and on either side the audience rose on either side, so there was always this pull between both sides, and there was a and there was a um, a balcony on either side, and on one side was my entrance, Fosca, that's winding staircase. I will never live that. I've had some entrances, man. Like like going on for Aldonza with that big runway that goes mm-hmm. <laughs> coming down that runway. But like this, this was just another spectacular uh, entrance. But anyway, I, I, I digress. But all of that to say that I think the proximity and the shape of the theater lent itself to a very... Um, you, you couldn't get closer. You couldn't have a more immersed immersion type. Mm. Uh, absolutely in agreement. That I love that stage because you have that intimacy, but there's also sort of, you can still also have scale to it. You know, there's still also a grandeur to that stage because it goes so far back. I always talk about, um, yeah, and it goes, I, what I love, one of my favorite bits of staging from that production was um, at the end of If I Loved You when they're on the hill. And then because the Beaumont stage, you know, goes so deep, it's like a football stadium, how it just sort of went back, the hill went back and back and the spotlight got tighter and tighter on them as they were sort of in this giant embrace, which I always said was like a perfect metaphor for the central relationship in Carousel. Like why Julie stays with Billy that whole time? Because yes, you you can say it's toxic and it's not always good for her, but sort of let go and there's nothing but darkness around her. So she might as well hold on for the 10 minutes of happiness with him. Uh, Sally Murphy and Michael Hayden were, uh, they were just not on this earth. Mm-mm. They they were, they were a, a, a poem. Uh. They were like an epic poem. I'm, I'm crying just thinking about it. Look at it. Yeah, I, they were, um, her her queerness was, um, and, and, and his, and his utter inability to, to, to navigate all, all, all of the stuff that, that complicates their relationship and makes it dangerous and makes him dangerous, but yet unintentional, it's not evil, mm-hmm. was uh, a thing of greatness. And, and I, I really have to say, I'm so admiring of you that you, um, that you still hold it this close. And it's, it's, it, is, it is why I say, when I teach and when I coach, and when people ask me, I've had people say, well, you know, how are you so intense on stage? And I say, you know, you don't, the biggest and most valuable thing that you can never be given is the gift of someone's attention. And I will be goddamn if I will waste one second of that privilege. Hmm. Because you can, 
I've had people come back to me literally 10 years, 12, 15, saying, I never forgot that performance. I never forgot that what you did that. And I, and I, and even in moments where, you know, it's a pandemic and we haven't performed in a while, or I'm feeling very insecure, or I haven't worked in a while. And then I get a message like that, whether it's from every little step or it's from passion or from Anita, you know, or whatever. Or from this guy. Or from this guy. It's, it's, it lives on in the most important way that anything can live on, which is mm-hmm. in here, in here. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true and very beautiful. And thank you. I've uh, this this discussion has already been more than I could have hoped for, and we haven't even gotten <laughs> to the meat of it yet. Um, oh but my I'm god! For- no, you you didn't know what you were getting in for. See, that's what I'm saying. Oh. I. <laughs> I'm so thrilled um, and really thank you for indulging me on this because um, I have spoken to both Sally Murphy and Lauren Ward outside in the real world, uh, but not through like any, like I'll say it really quickly and so we can move on because I do really want to get to passion with you, but I did uh, run into uh, Lauren Ward at Angus McIndo back when it was still around. She was doing Matilda and I've been as I, I've been in love with this carousel for like over a decade now, and I'm sitting with my dad because he had just come out of Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike. And what ends up happening is that Lauren Ward and uh, um, Linda Emond, sorry, Linda Emond, yeah. um, they were having dinner three tables away. And what ended up happening is both of us had closed out the restaurant, and I was a little tipsy. And I sat down and I was like, Miss Ward, I adore you and Matilda. You're the beating heart of this show. However. I do know that you were in Carousel. You were one of the bearded tap dancing ladies. You understand Sally Murphy. And she went, oh my God. And we talked about Sally Murphy and all that good stuff. Then I saw Admissions, which, which Sally Murphy was in. And I have about three or four Carousel playbills, two of which I bought myself. And then two of which were gifted to me because people find it and they send it to me. Uh, and I asked her to sign it. And I think she thought it was an Admissions playbill at first because they looked similar in terms of the color uh, coordination. Yeah. And then she saw what it was, looked up and she went, do you want to talk for a minute? And I was like, I would love nothing more. You know, she's my best friend, right? I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> you know, we talk like all the time, right? Okay. So <laughs> yeah. I talk, I've talked about her so much on this podcast. Uh, I think that her and Michael's performances in Carousel, I, I will say it out loud and proud. I think they are the two most underrated performances in the history of musical theater because they are so exceptional and for me, so definitive and really oh. tapped into what those characters were. And they're not, they're appreciated, but I don't think they're appreciated enough. And I'm no Tino shade to all the nominees of the 1994 season, their lack of nominations, sure. I still am baffled by just if their performances didn't work, you know that what? production would have worked. You know what, though? Matt, how old are you? Um, I will be 31 a week from today. Yeah, don't, don't, don't be surprised. I'm not surprised think, anymore. Uh, it just, yeah. it's my, it's my, lot, my thing. I think there's a certain level of refinement that, um, that doesn't, uh, pop through for whatever reason. Uh, the, what I will say though hey, is I'm that gonna, I'm gonna, can I do you mind if I pause for one second? Can we can pause we for pause? a second? Mm-hmm. Okay. Really, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. 
So we are back after a quick pause. Natasha has had a costume change. And uh, just to clarify, Miss Lauren Ward uh, is Miss Natasha Diaz's best friend, which yes. makes absolute sense as you have Carousel and Saturday Night in common. Uh, I wonder if she remembers that night where some random boy ran up to her drunk at Angus McIndoe and said, I know you were in Carousel and I'm obsessed with it. I'm sure she would. It's such I'm, a very specific sure moment. She would. And of course, you have listened to Violet, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. This is how you know Natasha's only known me for a few days to assume I've never <laughs> listened to Violet. Right. I love her Violet. And I, I mean, I love Sutton's Violet. I love uh, Lauren's Violet. Lauren, like I know her. Uh, she's got such a wonderful voice. I, I mean, I was so obsessed with Matilda. I saw it. I think four times, three or four times. And she was so great in it. Uh, but that's not what this yeah. is about. Just wrapping it up, going back to Carousel for a quick second. Uh, as you said, you know, sometimes this, these moments of brilliance don't always get their due. And it's very true, which is why everyone involved in that production is very lucky that you have me as your spokesperson. Because not only am I extremely vocal, I'm very confident in my opinion. So if anyone tries to challenge me, I, I've, okay, not to like be disparaging, there was a night I was at a benefit uh, at the Players Club in Gramercy Park, and I was a guest. So I had no reason to um, be as vocal as I was that evening as I was a guest in this very fancy benefit. But, you know, the person who invited me had a lot of colleagues there and we were all gathered around and I brought up Carousel. And, you know, there are certain types of traditionalists out there with that production that rubbed them the wrong way. And to say that I yelled at them and their opinion would be accurate. I very much yell, I'm in a suit. Everyone is very fancy. Everyone's drinking champagne and talking very quietly. And I yelled at this person in the face that not only was their opinion wrong, but the root of their opinion was uh, troubling to me and that they needed to stop talking. And my my uh, editor was like, Bravo. okay. <laughs> but like, you know, what, all... but you know so I'm sure Sondheim himself, mm -hmm. oh, would 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 say to you be prepared to to do battle and not only do battle but but receive all kinds of vitriol and mm -hmm. uh and backlash and back talk oh, yeah. and yeah. and uh down people trying to take you down for your choices if you break new ground you know yeah. either either uh visually or um conceptually mm -hmm. you will you know, be prepared to, to be loved. There's not, there's no work that's loved by everyone, right? That anything, if it's liked by everyone, for the most part, it's something that's sort of down the middle of the road and will eventually be forgotten. You, t in order to be loved by some people, you're going to be hated by others. And I'm usually open to opinions. I'm always saying I'm looking for someone to change my mind. That specifically, not only Carousel, that specific production, I have absolutely no leeway with I'm like no it you're you're just wrong or you're trash uh but I don't usually say trash I don't usually say trash uh I might have gotten very close to calling this certain older gentleman trash but I withheld myself and I had another glass of rosé and I had uh a snack and I said I'm off to the next corner and then I met, I met Sheldon Harnick and that was very sweet but I did yell at someone who I had met five minutes prior because I was like how dare you your opinion is trash and the reason for your opinion is even worse so moving on <laughs> Speaking. I love you. I, I just love you every more, every minute. This is like, br please bring more. Please bring it Thank all. Thank you. Bring it Speaking, all. Bring it all on. Speaking of heated interactions that have, um, discussing toxic feelings, you are in passion. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, I passion, so passion happened to me. Would you talk about sort of your history with the show before doing it then? Like what was your knowledge um, of it? I knew, well, I'm half Italian, half Puerto Rican. And I identify, can I say that? I identify as more yeah. Italian than it's your, Puerto it's Rican. Your, it's your story. You can say whatever you want right, with identity. Right. But like, no, because I've been typecast my whole life as like Spanish. And right. I am half Puerto Rican. It's part of my DNA, but I'm also half Italian. Yeah. And uh, I I have dealt with a lot of, you know, before now, the wokeness of, of, of our industry now. Mm-hmm. I've rarely had the chance to play someone Italian, but I'm actually feel much more Italian than I do uh, mm-hmm. Latin. And um, I'd never really done hardly any um, due to the typecasting. And this piece in particular, um, my mother being, I'm, the, I'm a first generation born in this country um, to a ballerina. My mother was a ballerina and my father was an opera singer. He opened the Met he was the youngest bass to ever win the Met auditions at age 22 years old. So there really was no hope for you that you were ever going to be an accountant. Like this was going to be your life. Oh yeah. <laughs> for more reasons than just the fact <laughs> that I could not account for anything <laughs> except for these. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, I, and so my mother had gone to see it mm. and she went over the moon for it. She became obsessed with it. My mother is a is a ballerina turned PhD psychoanalyst. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was cast as Petra and the Little Night Music at the Kennedy Center for the Sondheim Festival. Uh, so ever since seeing Passion, when my mother came to see a Little Night Music, she wanted so badly to, to talk to Sondheim about Passion. <laughs> And of course, I thought I never knew, I never expected, never suspected, never investigated that it might be a, a role that I could do, should do, even could do, mm. like actually be able to do it, sing it, you know, that, that's even when I, when I learned what it was. I just it never, it, it was never in, in my, like, in my sights. That just shows you how little about musical theater I know. <laughs> I mean, you're talking to you're talking to a lady who sang "Ladies a Tramp" for like the first 15 years of my career. <laughs> People were literally like that. That was that was like the extent of my musical knowledge. I mean, I wanted to do Chekhov and Shakespeare. Like that's really mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. I had no intention to sing this much. I don't think. I mean, I have a nice voice. I would say, what privilege to have the voice you have and be like, I never meant to sing all that much. Like, No, no, but listen, because it is the thing that I'm the most insecure about. And I've always been very, very vocal and open about this. Um, it For me, it's acting, dancing and singing. Uh, I'm, I'm a storyteller and I use, I use the movement and song to, to support story first. But I never thought that I would spend this much time singing. I wanted to do classical theater, I wanted to act. And, and to have discovered that your path in this world sort of puts this at you. So well, if you act and sing and dance, then your agent is gonna push you towards Broadway and these other things. 
I was going in for things that I couldn't, you know, Martin Guerre. Uh, I was for vocally for things like the witch into the woods. You know, I, I, I was like, so people tried to like push me a certain direction. And I've done a lot with my voice more than I thought I could. I don't think I have a God given, you know, instrument, but I, I, I am a chanteuse. I think I have, I have worked and sort of, uh, risked my vulnerabilities of my voice and how I feel about my voice to the point where I know what I can do with it. And what is interesting to me is in how it serves a story mm-hmm. or a moment, which is why Jacques Brel came together. So what's such a synthesis for me because I was able to really realize it. But that being said, um, when Signature said, you know, so, uh, so we, we thought we were like you to do Passion. And I was like, yeah, all right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wanted to be Sally Bowles. Why did you cast me in Sally Bowles? Like, this is a role that I am still dying to do. <laughs> Sally Bowles. <laughs> like, it's, it's just like, I'm, I'm dying to do it. So I was like, okay, so now I can't, instead of doing something I dreamed about, knowing that I have the dancing, the acting and the singing to do Sally Bowles, there, here was this Fosca thing where I didn't, I was like, I don't know anything about it. I don't, it's nothing I dreamed of. Like for, for a big role like this sounds like it is, you have to like, you know, have a, have a thing for it. And I, I didn't. And it got closer and closer and closer to the time. And they were like, Hey, Natasha, so, so passion. I was like, I'd be like, like dressing might be doing crazy for you or something and and I was like um yeah no um what what are you talking about yeah (laughs) no um and he finally just said to Tasha so you have a choice we have uh the teacher and Billy Elliot or Fosca so you can choose I was like okay let me go home and 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 start to like wrap my brain around this. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I obviously I watched it. I watched Donna, and I know I have known Donna for a while socially, mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't seen Passion, uh, but I I knew what an incredible, powerful performer she. It was. also came out the same season as Carousel. So you really had no oh. chance to see it when it came out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You guys, you guys were, you. I don't know if you know this, you guys were the big cheese that season. You guys won the most Tony Awards that year. You were like the big hit of 94. Everything else was sort of in your shadow. But maybe that's just my bias. No, I mean, that's certainly what it felt like from the inside. But wow, that is incredibly fascinating to learn. But mm-hmm. so, 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 so cut to, you know, it's getting on like, you know, eight months, eight, nine months before they're supposed to start Passion. And I was like, okay, let me go home. And I watched it. And I was like, okay, well, acting wise, this seems very much in my wheelhouse. And then I said, and so I started to sing along with Donna in in some of these songs. Um, not not the first one because that was, <laughs> you can't sing along to you know I read. <laughs> it's just not no. one of those. No. Um, I think it was uh, 
I wish I could forget you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was wish I, I wish I could forget you or 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 um loving you or, or the um loving you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and as I sort of like dared in my kitchen with very good acoustics, <laughs> you know, to form I started going, oh, wait a minute. And I found a place in my voice and it's sort of in my very, you know, not trained enough voice. Um, it was in my, it sort of sat in my legit Joni Mitchell place. In fact, that I, that's how I would warm up for the show. I would sing a couple of Joni Mitchell tunes because it's sort of, it's right in that, uh, right in that mix for me. Mm -hmm. um, I went, oh my God, I can, I think I can do this. I think, I think. And I, I, I said, look, I'm not going to take this. They offered it to me. And I said, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. We're going to have an audition <laughs> because I cannot skip that step. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go away. You give me the two songs. I will go away and, and come back and I will sing them with you. So that'll be my audition. Like I couldn't, I felt too nervous about it to, to not have earned that step. Mm -hmm. And, and I sang it. And, and the conductor, John Kelpfleisch, he said, I, and I have a recording of it because I kept it because it was a mo I recorded that moment because I was like, I need to know that this is actually happening, <laughs> that I can, that I have a record that I can actually do this. He said, did you say that you know this? Did you sort of know this? And I said, yeah, I think you sort of really know it. That was gorgeous. And I'm like, and Matt goes, Natasha, that was beautiful. What is wrong? Like, what is the thing? And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm comfortable being second banana and stealing the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not having to like do the hefty, you know, the heavy lifting of a lead role. It's, it's not something that I've done often. So not only was this a lead role, but it was a lead role in a Sondheim show, the vocally that led, that lent, that leaned on vocals. Two things that I had never done. I'd never had that much experience with and, and certainly not at that level. Um, so this was new territory. And, you know, when they called me in for Man of La Mancha, and they said, we want you to come in. And I was like, why, why do you want me? Are there all these women in, in New York with the big voices and the big boobs? And they were like, no, we want you. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. They're like, so what? Come in and try. And I was like, no. And they were like, we'll get in here. <laughs> and I'm telling you, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say no out of fear? Or are you gonna try? And I have become, turns out, someone that, tries you know and I went and went it's I'm like I did it I was like that's a nice flash whatever I don't know what I'm doing but you know there it is and you so, learn more about yourself by doing that about well, about how you learn what you have you in actually you make a living <laughs> you can make a living you know as opposed to having a job and then not having a job so yeah. you do good to to check so, so this one, I decided to take the, the, the plunge and I was like, okay, I can do it. I said, but this is what I want to do. I want to get 
the score and I want to sit with a pianist and I want to learn it. I want to learn. I just want to sit with the music. And they were like, okay. They got me a pianist. And for three weeks in the summer, I learned the score. So that when I walked into the first day of rehearsal, I knew the whole score, all those intervals. And they were sort of in me so that I didn't have to, so that now it was a question of pouring the intent through the music so that the music was in service to the character already there, that I could right. use it as a tool instead of something that I had to stop and sort of grapple with and then move on. Right. Um, a, a huge, the thing that really put it over the edge though, was this. Is that the book? This is the book. Have you read this book? I have not. It's I ordered it and it's on its way. I've only I had to bone up on it uh, to talk about passion. So I know a little bit, but I haven't read it. Yet. OK, well, I I'm sort of excited for you to read it after you talk to me, mm -hmm. because I think compared to every other woman who I know, who I know, I mean, I know there's probably more than Donna and Judy and Elena. Um, my Fosca is based on this book. When I, when I, you know, and the beautiful thing about, about any role is that different human beings shine facets of these characters through them. So interpretation is, is everything. And, uh, you know, you can judge for yourself what is more successful or less successful, but but inherently, you know, it's the opportunity is there. And when I read this book, I said, this is me. She is, uh, she laughs at herself. She's, she's uh, effusive. She's polite, she's poetic, um, she's open, and she's in her 20s. Yeah. And to me, and looking at passages, looking at, 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 looking at passages, I... I went, well, I, I know this. And it's so Italian, Matt. The fits or the whatever, it's, it's just expression. And this is what, when I go to Italy and I get off the plane, I go, oh my God, this is a country of people like me. <laughs> like, I feel, like I feel it. So the, 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 the cultural, I think, not misinterpretation, but but I think what 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 rings true to me is the expressivity of her, is the is is the the magnitude of of her love. I mean, it's Verdi. It's you know, it's 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 everything Italian. This is such an Italian story. So to say 
you know, who, who do I care? Who hears me? I adore you. Is that something I should hide? But I, you know, it's a 20 something year old girl who was denied a life that could meet her where her soul lived. And she does not want to die without feeling it. I know there's been a lot of mature women who have played this role, but I think the fact that she is young is an intrinsic part of it. Mm-hmm. I want to die before I've experienced it. Well, she, you know? from from my limited experience with the story, just through the show and and uh, some of the movie and whatnot, she is young, and she it's she. There's this um combative uh, there are two combative parts of her life which is that she has been infantilized by her parents and by her cousin and on top of that is also a sensitive thing to say yes there is absolutely that yes yeah and then on top of that has also experienced enough emotional trauma to last anyone a lifetime so in ways she's physically aged further than she should be but she's also emotionally stunted in ways that she had uh not not as much responsibility for if that makes well, sense well she says i'm sorry no one has ever taught me how to love mm-hmm. i know i feel too much you know in that in that very sort of uh distilled uh exchange that they have on the train she apologizes for her mm-hmm. ways a thousand times in the book She's like, ah, I'm trying. What, what do I tell you? Like, I have, I've had this, this mountain, this, this, this tsunami in me, and yet the life that says, no, you're gonna die. You're never gonna have this. You're never gonna have this. And the will to say, no, that cannot be my destiny. That cannot be my destiny. That won't be my destiny. You know, it's, she's fighting for it every second, and. And, and, you know, the whole Giorgio perspective of it, you know, it depends on the director, depends on, on, on what you feel like his journey is into coming to her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, oof, it's very delicate, but I swear, you're, this, this was, this was everything. Yeah. And, and uh, I miss living in her I miss I miss living with that singular purpose that that to to get and receive love and which is why you know she's when she says to to be loved is to have lived when she it, she's comforting him to say you yeah. can make love to me it's okay you won't break me I just want to live and and if, even if it does break me, like it's it's worth it for all the things that I'm about to get from it. Uh, well, it's interesting to me. I made it. I made yeah. it. Uh, What's interesting it's- to me is uh, her letter to him in the end is of such 
such optimism and hope and joy and uh, sort of gives it sort of frees him in a bit of any guilt he should that he might have with being with her towards the end because you realize through this entire show that she has uh, all this angst and um, uh, we call it in Italian we call it agita agita okay agita I sorry, I have to do it with the, with the fingers. I just thought um, that I don't. The word for this is yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's um, it to bring it to you know the 2020 pandemic. You know, so many times I know for myself, I never realized like what an oppressive funk I was until something brought me out of it for a moment. And she says in the letter, like I didn't realize how much pain I was holding onto until you showed me that you loved me. And so towards the end of her uh, days was able to kind of appreciate the world around her. take on the role was so oh my god brave does not even begin to to cover it because at least for me I think people would say that my my approach was as brave in that I was so vulnerable Mm -hmm. but I actually think to have done it in a way that invites again culturally I think culturally people most of the people in this country did not understand passion, does not understand it. And, uh, you know, for, for, for Donna to have said that she endured the jeers, and I endured laughs too, but the, the extent that she, that, she, that she tells that she endured, mm-hmm. people applauding when she fell, um, leaving. I mean, it, the, 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 and, I, and I had the audience so close to me, so when I would hear a like a disgust mm-hmm. or laughing at me when I was saying, when I would be at my most vulnerable, it, it is, it is, um, wow. Um, it, it, it really exposes people's sadism to need, you know, when, when is someone is, is, is bleeding in the street, would you, would you you'd say, help me, help me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really something. It didn't happen a lot because I think our configuration, like the tennis match that I was explaining to you before, which was long and the uh, audience rise on either side, it was harder to distance yourself from someone in such pain and from the dynamics. With a huge Broadway house, I think they were, it must have been easier for the audience to judge. In sitting and distance, yeah and distance themselves from the degree of pain. But Donna also chose a very, very dark and very cerebral, I mean, which is why it's so beautiful on film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, it's like, it's, yeah. you cannot take your eyes off of her. Ah, it's, it's just, I just saw so much brightness. Mm. I saw so much light. 
which is if I may for a moment, uh, yeah. as someone who's as someone who's never played Fosca, nor have I ever seen a live production, and the ways that I've watched it, I will not condone as um, uh, legal, one should say. But uh, I've now, <laughs> I have uh, seen Donna's, Judy's, and yours. Um, and what's interesting is the ver- and and some of Elena Rogers as well. And what's interesting to me is how different each one is, but also still rooted to the same uh, seed. And so, if, so with yours, there is that light, there is that earnestness, there is that innocence and vulnerability. Judy's was more of a humorous, self-defensive uh, attitude, and then Donna's was sort of, um, uh, honestly, you were, were simmering, but kind of like drowning in this uh in this grossness in this toxicity um because that's all she's been known to live in and each one has its and they're all rooted to a woman who has known nothing but pain and nothing but loneliness and they're all they're all um justifiable ways to interpret the role because you can argue that people deal with that differently uh you know some have the hard exterior which is what Judy did, which showed the vulnerability underneath. I talked about this with um, Do I Hear a Waltz and Do I Hear a Waltz episode, how Sondheim went like, oh, well, Leona can't sing. She's too shut off emotionally. I'm like, those are the people that sing the most because you touch them with a finger and they crumble apart. And uh, and it's, it's, I I described it as, um, this is going to, this whole episode is showing you truly who I am and how my brain works. Um, it all reminds me of, and you're going to laugh, but Samantha Jones on Sex and the City, there's a specific episode. It's called My Motherboard Myself, which is it's the episode Miranda's mom dies and they all go to the funeral and Samantha loses her orgasm in the cab. And she, because she can't bring herself to mourn and feel anything about Miranda's mom, she sh- shuts it off until they get to the funeral and she's like pushing it off. And then she makes eye contact with Miranda during the service. Mouths, I'm sorry. And then just breaks down into tears. And until that point, Samantha's always been known as like the tough one, the one who doesn't have time for emotions. And what's underneath there, what she's capable of feeling and what she's sort of ignored for so long. And it's just for a show that, you know, sometimes gets um, maligned, sometimes rightfully so. That is a moment that I'm like, that justifies its existence still, that that episode is there shows you why this show still carries a lot of weight. And that's something that I think uh, can be carried to Fosca. And I think also Fosca's pure unadulterated, like um, willingness to look ridiculous or be uh, recoiled from makes people uncomfortable. People get uncomfortable by full-fledged emotion. Uh, I remember when I directed even in italy Italy. i directed carousel in college in a black box and i have video of one of the performances where during if i loved you when billy says but you don't and julie says no i don't i can hear my best friend in the back of the theater giggle and it's not a like oh she loves him like just the pure emotion of the scene made her uncomfortable and when she gets uncomfortable she laughs and that happens to people it's not just her it's a lot of people they laugh or they scoff Mm -hmm. because um the unabashed uh uh, I, I'm losing words now, but the unabashedness of Fosca's uh, declarations turn people off because they're like, well, that's not, you know, what people do. And, or like, that's not, how you act. that's not how you play the game. No, no. And, and it's funny because this is where the parallel 
for me comes once I read this book and I said, I mean, I feel like not that I could have written these words because she's much more literate than I am. She's much more well-spoken than I am. Um, meaning that I have, I know the point of departure that gave rise to these words. I feel like it could be mine. Mm -hmm. It could be one and the same. I have often made the mistake in this world as I've grown of opening myself with trust, with, and, and people react to that in different ways, even in theater. You know, you think that everybody's like, everybody's open. No, no, they're not. And it is, it is a, it is a, a state of life that I know well to, to simply be open and say, well, well why isn't this okay? I'm saying I, I need this and do you need this? And how are you? And why can't we just be open? Why can't, why can't it be an exchange of ideas and say, and then tell me why, if I look a certain way, if these are the things that matter to you, why can't you love me? If this is, you know, looking at what matters in life. And, and we did, a, I mean, if you'll see in the book, they, they really parallel Fosca and Giorgio so completely. Um, what Giorgio does to, to woo Clara is he, he writes a little notes and he throws them into her window. And he basically says, pity me, I'm sick. Mm. Yes. Yes, he does. So it is, that's why they sing about pity. Yeah. Pity and love. How, how quickly pity leads to love, yes. That's right. So it goes into a lot. I mean, that was his whole tactic with her. So when he meets Fosca, it's, they're the same. They really are the same. Mm. Except he's beautiful. And she's not. So you you see the, the, the parallels. I, I don't know. It was it was it was a it was a marriage, and it was also the first time I felt a score that was like a glove of my own skin. Mm. As someone who, as I've admitted, that I'm, I'm, I am, it is singing is the is the is the talent that I am the most that I probably will remain the most um, insecure about. To have that feeling was as revelatory as these musical moments were to live them. Mm. I mean, you know, you're looking at a little girl who never got to play Clara in the Nutcracker who never, like, I, I was born to play Juliet, never got to play it. And I finally got to be the girl in bed with the long hair, like winning. And it was like, 
It was everything to me. It was everything. Chance by necessity, by the sadness that we saw in each other. Just another love story. That's what they would claim. Another simple love story. Aren't all of them the same? So something I was thinking of when I recorded the episode, because I was talking with my guest about the opening scene with happiness, which you know, is most notorious because the actors are usually nude. And in fact, uh, it's kind of important that they do be naked in that scene because I've always sort of viewed it as if the opening scene of passion is like an Instagram post that's like hashtag blessed and it's like all the filters and all the like, uh, all the soft lighting, the rest of the show is sort of um, dissecting why that song feels maybe good in the moment, but it isn't real and it isn't something you can actually hold on to. It's it's the, because Giorgio and Clara are, all they're really doing is they're enjoying each other's like physical perfections. And and, and it's what they think is love is just them saying like, oh, you're beautiful and I'm beautiful. And isn't it so awesome? But again, but again, remember, it came out of pity. Mm -hmm. But, it doesn't, the show doesn't lean into it as much as, as the, the novel does. Yeah. What I, what I mean though, is that it's, so what you were saying reminded me of it because of this whole, um, this sort of like everything is perfect. Everything is balanced and isn't it wonderful and as, isn't it all safe? And the, the nudity is part of that in the sense of, you know, the physical attributes of the, of the characters, but also to say like, isn't it so daring how we're naked right now? And like kind of on this meta level of like, we're naked and everyone's there seeing it only for sort of Fosca to come in and go like, that's not what's really quote unquote brave. Like what I'm, the bareness of my soul is what is brave and what makes people really uncomfortable. It's sort of, it's subverting that expectation. Everyone thinks like, oh, the first scene is what's shocking. It's like, no, it's shocking is what's about to come. Well, it's interesting. I, I completely agree with you. And it's, I think that's part of why, I mean, besides the fact that it's, again, I'm going to point to, it's just so Italian. It's so Italian. Mm. You know, Michelangelo, the, you know, it's like, yeah, this, these are sensual people, right? This is a, this is a, a sensual people, but but for an, I think for American audiences, you know, this is a, this is a, this is an aspect that I often wonder about. It's like there are colors, emotional colors, and tendencies, cultural colors that come into these stories um, that are part of what is uh, illuminated. The truth of them much like you wouldn't want to mix, uh, you wouldn't, well, and you have, <laughs> when you get to getting to talk about race and theater, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen Spanish people uh, replaced in a Spanish story by white, black, you know, you name it. It's not the same. It's not the same, it never was. Well, similarly, this is very Italian. It doesn't mean that someone who isn't Italian cannot play Giorgio. It doesn't mean that someone who isn't Italian cannot 
play Clara, but there is a facet of how they communicate that is born of Italian blood mm-hmm. and thought. And um, you can't really get, I don't think that to ignore it is to miss a huge chunk. You wouldn't do that with, with a piece from Japan or China. Culture, cultural differences are everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, again, this is for me. I'm speaking as an Italian, approaching a piece that is Italian born, mm-hmm. uh, funneled through the lens of an American, uh, you know, giant of, of theater. Um, as an Italian, this is my lens. And I cannot but, I cannot but have this vision in my lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, but it goes back to the, you know, the, the thing of the beautiful thing about all roles is that you share them. You have, you know, you have, you share them with, with, with people who, you know, are, are, are walking down the same, uh, this, the same journey and you see different things. Um, and again, of course, the pairing with Giorgio is, is essential. Mm-hmm. And the balance with the Clara is also essential. Um, but Matthew Gardner, uh, <laughs> besides the fact that he, had, for the last you know, several years, has been the, the, the driving force of me realizing and growing as a singer, as, as a musical theater, um, performer. Um, I've done other things, other places, but you know, I first started doing cabarets at Signature. Um, and you know, I wake up one day and I have an audience. Like years later, like if I do a show, people come. And <laughs> you, you, if you ask me, say of all people, you know, to 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 dare to do a cabaret, saying why would anybody want to come and listen to me sing for an hour and fifteen minutes? And I developed this muscle. I developed this the faith in myself as a storyteller. And to you know, again, it's all like, do you want to make the money or not? <laughs> well, you better find something meaningful to offer. Mm-hmm. And I did, and I have. I did find out at one point, not from reviews, but from chaplains. At one point, I was working on Spider Woman, like, and what, what what I wanted to come across was not coming across at all. Mm. And I was like, oh my god. So what I'm doing, it's not reaching. There's something in my head that I think is big and it's not working. And the next day I was like, I'm going to try this with this energy. And it completely changed. So that is really important to me. And I'll say why. So message boards are tricky because you have some people on there who genuinely love theater and just and want to share it with others. And then you have people who view it as like a way to be catty and way to judge. And that's 
it's about wading through all of that. On the other end, when you talked about that and with reviews, I appreciate that you read your reviews and you look through you know, message boards and whatnot and not let, not let it necessarily define you, but just reminds you that there are people out there taking in what you're doing and it's not and it's, it's, and it's fully a relationship it's, between performer and audience but that's you what know? it's for and it's, I, that's, it's, why, that's why i get frustrated when people say that they don't like i don't read reviews i don't read message boards i'm like you have to at least understand that there are people out there still taking you in it's not just you alone on that stage yes yes and but 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 this is the thing though matt and this is where I am very much like Fosca. It's like, I'm like, tell me. I'm like, oh, I, you know, to a fault. I have, I mean, it's almost killed me what, what I've experienced in this business. The, the kind of twisting and the kind of uh, maligning that I have experienced. But in terms of the work, I, these, they matter, right? These things do matter for the reasons that I said at the beginning of this, the most valuable thing that I can ever receive is the gift of your attention. Think of that, the undivided attention. So what I do with that gift and what we experience because you've given me your time and attention and I've given you my energy, my song, my whatever, what the experience is matters. It matters. It matters. It's always mattered to me. Maybe if I was more successful, maybe if I had, you know, if I was a bigger star or whatever, it would have to matter less because there'd have more, you know, more people to like more noise to contend with. Um, I hope I have that problem <laughs> one day soon. Um, but I'm, I'm so, uh, I never have been afraid of that. I've been hurt. Mm. I've been hurt by it, but not, but not afraid. What it sounds like to me, based off what you said with the Spider Woman moment, is you have perhaps one of the healthiest attitudes about that relationship that I can think of, which is to say it, it's a, both a lack of ego and a confidence in yourself, or at least in your um, vision, which is to say. I have what I am trying to do with this story and with my character. I will, I will listen to opinions to make sure that what I'm trying to get across is coming across. If you don't like what I'm doing or what I'm getting across, that's another matter and that's your opinion. But I want to make sure what I'm trying to do is getting across. If it's not getting across, then I will adjust so that way that comes through. You know, well, and again, you know, a lot of a lot of orthodox or even just normal actors would be like, oh, my God, Natasha, that's crazy. You don't you don't adjust your performance because of something you read on a chat board. Well, at that time, I was there was a little bit of lag between the director and I and I was and I was. To be honest, it was, again, the first uh, one of my first big roles that I'd ever been allowed to do. Mm. And. I, I felt so um, <sighs> damaged by a lot of the things that have happened to me that I didn't, was scared or that I didn't believe I had the right to take ownership in the way that I, you know, I was supposed to be the cheetahs next in line, you yeah. know, from like, you know, the people who put cheetah where cheetah was. <laughs> yeah. And even from cheetah herself. And Donna McKechnie, 
you know, these people recognize me and they, and they, and they see, and yet I still haven't had a platform, you know? So I better stay disciplined. I better stay, you know, open and brave because it's not over yet. It's not over by a long shot. And I'm, um, it's, uh, you know, it's the long game. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a kiss ass. I have absolutely complete faith in the longevity of you and of the opportunities that I'm positively coming your way because as I said, I'm a judgmental person. I try to be <laughs> fair. I try to be fair. I've, I've worked really hard not to be a dick about my opinions. If I like have a negative thoughts on something, you know, I'm not somebody. What is your, what is your nationality? I have to know. Jewish. I'm a New York Jew born and raised fourth generation. We are. I love you so much. Oh my there God. Go. Yes. I found out my, my dad's side is uh, Romanian and Russian and my mother's side is Polish and Hungarian. Oh my God. No wonder. But I am. So both sides of Europe. And then my family has been in Manhattan since, you know, the beginning of the 20th century. Okay. Just, yeah. All, all New Yorkers born and bred. Say, well, I'm, I'm, I basically was raised in New York. I mean, I was born in Lugano, Switzerland, but I grew up in New York. Mm. I'm a New Yorker. Yes. So no wonder I, I, it's, it's, it's everything I adore. Did you watch the talks uh, with um, Scorsese and what's her name? Fran Leibowitz? No, that's the uh, pretend it's a city. Is that what it's called? What it's called? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Although everyone has told me to watch it. Um, you, because just, you would, you would just, you as who you are now that I know your mm-hmm. parts. Oh my God. Okay. It's, that, because it's going to take all your parts. Yeah. It's going to go. Well, oh, oh honey. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be on my list, but all um, your core puscles. What, what I've always said, or I should always say what I've been saying for the last couple of years is I really hate what um, my friend John and I call toxic positivity, where it's just, you know, placating and saying the yeah. nice things because you think that's what somebody wants to hear. I have always felt negative feedback is important and what, and it's, one of the most difficult to give because you have to uh, recite it in a way that the person can take it in. So it's not a tear down. It's, and it's meant to sort of um, be helpful. And so I've never, I'm not someone who's like, Oh, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. Like I, I, as someone who has seen your career as a, you know, outsider perspective and has been a city kid and seen theater forever. Like I saw Susicle. Uh, I have a signed playbill. Um, I went when Kathy Rigby and Aaron Carter were in the cast. I am not ashamed to say that as an 11 year old, almost gay boy, I didn't come out until three years later. I was on my way. I fully saw it at the time for Aaron Carter, but I fell in love with the show. So that's, that's just something I needed to get out of the open. No, listen, Um, I mean, all of those boys were so, and you know, Aaron Carter, I have to just say this, mm -hmm. you know, Aaron was so, he was such, he was so gangster and he was like, what, like 13 or something mm-hmm. like that. And he'd be like, he'd be like, yo, what's up? To me, <laughs> rehearsal would be like, you're freaking 12. What are you, why are you, are you rapping to me? That was, Get out of here. That, that was then, his whole MO, then, Aaron's party. But then the other side would come out and he actually confided in me. And he said, I'm not sleeping very well. And like, He's like, you know, and I was like, are you taking care of yourself? Are you like 
finding moments to find calm. You know, you go with a book, or you take a bath, you know, you're in a show now, you have to. And he was, you know, a kid being raised in, in, a, in a stardom sort of way without someone guiding him on how to stay grounded and find peace. And I felt really bad for him as, you know, he went in that direction. I, I said, did you have, are you taking a nap? Are you, are you, you're going to promise you take a bath? Just put on your headphones, like make it, make it like so that you lie down. Mm-hmm. To, you know, he was always like this. And I, you know, as a, as an older member of, uh, you know, as a, as a cast member, like I, tr- I tried to, steer him at mm-hmm. least in a way to take care of him a little bit yeah. well it's know? good to pay it forward i just know that um people there's always i don't know it's there's like a weird um attitude sometimes people have of like oh you saw you liked this show or you saw the show because of this person was in the cast and i'm fully transparent about being a sexually confused 11 year old i saw susical to see aaron carter and then fell in love with the show so my love for aaron carter has um dissipated since then uh him kissing lizzie mcguire will always be culturally relevant to me but other than that uh <laughs> Seuss- Seussical is what's in my soul still and uh would always oh. want to be a bird girl thanks doc oh um, well that's the biggest compliment ever and of course of course we all know and you want to be a bird girl costumed by william ivy long mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's another odyssey which that deserves a whole if i ever if i ever did drag which if I do do drag, my my name is Tara, T-A-R-A, Tara Waypants. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but uh, I have a couple That's of different brilliant. numbers. It's totally brilliant. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I My three numbers, and it would all be musical theater stuff. My three numbers would be um, Bernadette Peters is Falling in Love with Love from Cinderella. I love it. <laughs> followed by Eartha Kitt's... Um, Moving uptown from the wild party. You're looking at a woman who invented the walk. And then the third one would be Amazing Maisie. That would be oh my Oh my God, that's the finale. That's, that's the finale. Um, and I would have puppets as my bird girls because I'm cheap and I'm not paying people to mouth the bird girls for me. No, no, no. I'm the star. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, it would be wonderful. One day, one day I'll do it. Let's wrap this up because amazing as this has been, it's a beautiful Sunday and we should both have a moment to see the sun. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I'm, I have a, I have a, a phone call and then I'm planning a walk uh, with a friend. Um, but I'm, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for, for all of your, not only for your, um, your taste, because I'm gathering that like, you know, your, what you're hooking into in these shows that just so happened to be like when I I was last on Broadway. <laughs> That's another story. That's but, another you know, story. But like, you know, was is that there is something in them that you the power that you feel in them, that timelessness mm-hmm. and that it it 
the intention behind it combined with how well it was presented is something that lives in you to use a word to use a phrase from passion Mm -hmm. all great theater my objective is for that to live in you yeah and and i have evidence i have been gifted evidence that i have managed to create that and that is the biggest gift to me and when it comes back to me i'm always i i just i'm so i i shouldn't be so surprised but the universe is cyclical in that way and i'm i'm so touched of these things that people write to me and they send me it's um it 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 restores my faith in what in what i'm doing is is doesn't just disappear Hmm. and that it enriches the soil of someone's path and that it stays with them is is just huge and the honor of of being allowed into that place in someone and anyone who comes to watch me is it's huge it's so personal it's so personal and and thank you so much for your words to me um, in, in, in letting me feel, you know, I mean, I would be, honestly, I'd be this vulnerable anyway, but to be able to actually say, you know, I, of course, we always wish for more, you know, we always wish we were more famous, more rich, more, had more choice of things, you know, and I, you know, I've had a lot and it's so funny to me that the, the the difference between how people perceive me and how I perceive myself mm-hmm. is, is so huge. And yet at the end of the day, and at the beginning of the day, is the only thing there is, is what you want to do and the work. And you have people like me to constantly remind you of the of the numerous legacies that you have had so far which should just be more uh, reason to inspire you to keep on dreaming for more because look at all the things that you've accomplished and the, and what it's meant to people like me, you know, I, that's, and that's what I mean. You've it's huge. And I'm, I'm, I'm so enchanted by you, Matt. This is, this is really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person, beautiful uh, mind that, that, that gives value to this. Ah. Thank you for that. I'm gonna so because because you indulge me so much on it today, but not and truly not enough on it. I'm going to um, convince you to convince Lauren Ward to have you both back on, and you're going to give me over an hour of Carousel. You're going to do that. I'm telling oh, you this right here, right now. Guess what? What? It's done. Perfect. I'm. It's done. It's gonna happen. You have to you have to work with her because it's six hours ahead. Of course, of course. I'm I'm a considerate person, uh, and I'm and hopefully she can remember my. Uh, it wasn't a tirade. It wasn't a tirade. I was very polite about it, but I was a little drunk, uh, and I did come to her at the end of a long night where she was having dinner with Linda Emond. So well, she will remember you totally, and you'll understand why we're such good friends. She's oh, I can't wait. she's. 
I can't wait. And there's more Sondheim I want to talk with the both of you about because she's done Follies and you both did Saturday Night and I want to talk about Miller's Son with you at some point and West Side Story because Anita is awesome. And speaking of judgmental people, my editor, who is the most judgmental man in the world, he came back from your signature and he's like, Matt, I have seen every West Side Story since like the 1970s. This is the best one I've ever seen and probably ever will see. So talk about, and yeah, like, I am in a group of very critical people. And again, not critical in like a negative way. We don't try to be nasty, but like we hold high standards. So yes. Okay. All- you just said it. That is, that is the crotch of the issue right there. One, the, the fact that having critical opinions is, that has been disparaged because you are so critical. It's not, it's about standard and mm-hmm. no, not everything is up to a standard it's not well so okay final thoughts final thoughts for me one you're talking about um impressions and storytelling and whatnot i feel like my issue with a lot of theater right now at least where broadway was at right before the pandemic hit was that i felt like it was a constant need to impress and i am more about uh the desire to connect i like being impressed it's it's nice it's cute it's fleeting though the connection is what I like more. And if you can connect the two together, then you have my heart forever. So like 94 Carousel with the with the sheer design and the staging and the choreography, that's already impressive. But the acting and the storytelling, that's where I connect and the two together is just ultimate. That's um, right. It is, it is, it, 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 it will not let you go. Nope. It does and, not let you go. And unfortunately, because I know that that's what theater can be, I it it ruins me for so much where I'm like, well, why aren't you even trying for this? But I'm also able to recognize when something is trying to be an entertainment or something's trying to be like- yes, what I- it doesn't mean that there isn't room for some for other things that do things differently, as long as you know yourself. Exactly. What I say is don't, don't lower the craft or the work behind it because you're trying to aim for quote-unquote entertainment. One of the examples I always say is uh, Mamma Mia, when I first saw it on Broadway, I actually saw it in London first and I didn't know what to expect because I didn't know ABBA, I was 10 years old. So I was mad everyone was singing along. I didn't get it. But then I had a year to think about it. My parents always talk about how I like, I sat there so crotchety and like, why is everyone singing? That's not proper theater etiquette. I didn't know ABBA. So a year later, I see it on Broadway when it opens and I knew what to expect and I fully fell in love with it. And then I saw it again right before it closed because I had two really close friends in the company. And I was like, this show is so good. It's so smart about being dumb because it does all the work for me because it knows that if I have to turn my brain off, they need to do the work so I don't ever have my antenna up. And I wish more light entertainment did that. More often it's like sloppily written or poorly staged. And they're like, well, we're just trying to be fun. I'm like, can you be better at it though? Um, well, honestly, this is what this is why I... I... Uh, I thought Beetlejuice was so smartly done. Yes. Oh God. And I saw it here and I saw it in New York. Mm-hmm. And truly, I mean, it knew its, it didn't know its needs the whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think they worked with making Beetlejuice a lot more, the, the, the thing that he had to fight for, which was, I want to be alive, like, you know, mm-hmm. to make him much more about that's what I want. And it's it, like, I really do want it, you know, as opposed to just being crass and just yeah. having the right disgusting joke mm-hmm. to, to put his want, his need, you know, how they talk about, you know, the person's want song and they're mm-hmm. like, 
it's it truly is musicals are machines and they must must be driven by the purity of those whether it's a farce whether it's tongue-in-cheek or whether it's a drama or whatever it is mm-hmm. it has to be driven by real wants you need to let find, give an audience a way in at some point no matter yes. what it is you're doing or how you're doing it there's got to be some in for the audience to connect with and be able to hold on to no matter what style you're going for yes uh yes. When you said Beetlejuice, I was like, I knew I liked this woman because I I will say, again, judgy person I am, I went into Beetlejuice having read the reviews being like, I'm probably not going to like this, but you know what? We'll see. Within Brilliant. the first four minutes, I was taken. Brilliant. Taken. I mean, I, those jokes, those laughs, those lyrics, what? Oh, those I, lyrics were what? wonderful. Uh, I I. Uh, I loved it so much. Uh, and yeah. that's that's probably the last time I was like surprised by a show. I went in with an expectation and it totally changed my mind. So good. Um, so Natasha, let's wrap this up. Where can people find you on social media or on the interwebs? You can find me at, um, I'm on Instagram, Lady Diaz 777 mm-hmm. And I have a, fa- I hate calling it this, but it's a fan page on Facebook. Um, where you can write to me, but you can also write to me on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. But I do a lot of my chatting with folks on my fan page. Um, I also, on my Instagram, I have a link tree. So you can go to my website. You can look at past pictures, reviews. And I'm actually, I can say this out loud to you, but I'm I'm actually going to do a talk hour. A talk hour? Yeah. What's that? I'm, well, I'm going to do a show. I'm going to... I'm going to talk. It's going to be called Tosh Talks. <laughs> oh, that's fun. So this is coming out, I believe, in May. Will that be happening by then? Um, It should be. Okay. It should be. So- yeah. Um, I've just had, I've been on a lot of guests, uh, things during this pandemic, and I have a lot of incredible things I want to talk about and a lot of incredible people that I, that are my friends who mm-hmm. I adore and who I want to check in with and, and hear their opinion about stuff. And I've got a lot of fun ideas about reunions and chats and uh, all kinds of things. Sounds so, um, wonderful. Very excited about that. Yes, but that's where you can find me. Also, and I'm on Twitter, but I don't have a, very much of a following, but I do tweet occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> if, she, yeah. if you write to her on her fan page and she doesn't respond immediately, hold out. She'll get back to you in a few weeks. I speak. Yes, no, and absolutely. You can write me there or write to me on, on uh, Instagram. I yeah. get people, people trying to find me, but mostly on my fan page. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just speaking from experience about the timeline of waiting <laughs> for the response. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that is so true. I may oh. or may not have written to her and it took like a month for her to respond. It did. Now, now to be, now, in all fairness, I have to say, I have recently gotten a garçon Mm-hmm. who's going to help me with everything. So like everything should get a lot more comprehensive. I have, cause I'm doing a lot of coaching and a lot of teaching, which I adore. Mm-hmm. So anybody is interested. Um, I've been doing a lot of lifting up of people during this pandemic. Um, not just artists, but I think there's so much opportunity in this time that we have, taken the spotlight off of doing being showing like you said and we are gifted the opportunity to be able to put focus on things that we didn't really have time for before and i'm talking about everything in life 
in art, in theater, about process, experience, looking back. I mean, the, it, it runs the gamut of being able to take stock, um, sharpen your intent going forward, whether you're a writer, whatever it is. I think there's a way to frame this time that is positive and it does take a little effort, but I really wanna be a part of that for people on whatever level. Um, and so I'm, so this is why I was so, so honored that you, uh, that you approached me. Um, and I wanna continue to, to, to do this and to be a force of, of not just this bland positivity, but see the opportunity in reframing things. Mm -hmm. And now that we have time to do it, time, space, to reframe things mm -hmm. from personal to, you know, to city, to global. Um, and I think it's a good, it's a good thing. There Absolutely. can be some good taken from it. A lot is good. A lot of good. Help people. I want to help people find their way to just like I do on stage. I, yeah. I want, I want to be a part of that. And so. I think that's absolutely wonderful and admirable and true. And I agree with you on all fronts with that. Um, to bring it back to the things that matter, um, you can find me on social media. Um, I'm on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. Uh, it's the only social media I have. One of these days I will upload TikTok and I will fall down the rabbit hole. That is that. But oh my God. And then you'll take me with you because I do not know what that is. I just, I, I can't figure it out. Can't I can't figure it out either, but apparently we're getting musicals from it all of a sudden. Uh, if you like the podcast, y'all, you can review it. You can subscribe to it. Um, you can share it with friends. Anywho, uh, yeah, so make sure to check out Passion, y'all. And uh, that's it for now. Uh, so long, farewell, Avida Zane. Bye. Bye. I'm only thinking of him. I'm only thinking of him. Whatever I may do or say. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.